Welcome, Fresnans. My name is Jordan Maddox, and this is Fresno's Best Podcast. Not the best podcast in Fresno, but a podcast celebrating the best people in Fresno. Some of these people you will have heard of, and others will be new to you. But each one of them is making a huge difference in our community. Our first podcast is with Reza Nikuminish. Reza is the director of the Islamic Cultural Center here in Fresno, and he has a lot of insights into the issues that not only Muslims have in our community, but also the broader political issues that affect everyone who's a part of Fresno. I know you'll love this podcast, so let's go meet Reza. Where do we eat in Fresno? Where would you eat in Fresno? Where we eat in Fresno. It depends what kind of food you want to get. Okay. Um, so, you know, like my favorite Middle Eastern restaurants, I got two of them. One's called Kebab City. I was just telling Heck yeah. Maya about Kebab City. And the other Throw one is Ark. Uh, Ark is my Ark. favorite spot. Yeah, it's amazing. So, my mother-in-law lives down the street from there. And I lived with her for a minute. And the kebab plate is out of control. It's ridiculous. If, if I want... Uh, Desi food, like Indian and Pakistani food, I, I, I hit up Haveli. Okay. Um, you know, you guys know what that's at over mm-hmm. on Shaw and Villa? No. I it haven't. used to be called the Elephant Grill. Oh, yeah. It's called Haveli. Same people, almost same owners Clovis, for a long right? time. Huh? Yeah, almost. Almost Clovis. Clovis, this is yeah. pretty amazing. But I guess if I'm going to shout out anybody, I'll shout out Colorado Grill. What up? That's, that's my, <laughs> that my brother's restaurant, restaurant. So got to represent really? my family. Yeah. Oh, dang. Right. Bacon cheeseburger. All right. Nice. Yeah, I there there's something about Ark because I've diff, been to different Armenian spots and Amy actually point, the best I've ever pointed had. us in that direction and I don't know what they do differently there but they do a lot differently. They care about you when you walk they in care the door. About you, yeah. They smile. But that's true. Have you been to the original Kebab City in Fowler? Uh, yeah, I oh, have. Okay. That's that's um, the best and one. And in Reedley? Yep. Right across from where Maya works and, and did you go to the in, new one? Um the new one's not open yet. No, it just opened. Uh, I just was at Arc today, and they said they're going to open in the beginning of January. No, they they went or they opened it. I got Lama June there. Really? Yeah. And oh, I'm sorry. Rewind. I I I was. Oh, back you meant on the Arc. new Arc? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, there's another like, Arc. I was like, I swear, I'm there's not going to be crazy. an Arc on a on a Herndon and the the street past Fowler, whatever that Toll House. Mm, yeah, it's Toll House. Mm-hmm. They do not know what's coming. They don't know what's coming. That's right. <laughs> but yes, I've been to the new one. Uh, so it opened what about two months ago? Yeah, I yeah. think I've been 35 to 40 times. Oh my god! No exaggeration. Are you serious? We've Where even used him to cater. Have you gotten so. the um, the shish yet? Where the it comes out? Yeah, like the vertical? Sharma. Yeah, the shawarma. Oh my god! Not shish. I, it's not shish. It's, it's shawarma. shawarma. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It's shawarma. I what's the difference that? between shish and shawarma? Oh, the uh, it's the way it's cooked. Yeah. No, 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 it's the way it's cooked. So you have you have chunks of meat or you have shredded meat. Like okay. not shredded, but chopped meat. Okay. So shawarma, usually when you go somewhere, they, they slice down off of the spindle. Oh, right. They're carving it off. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. what's the difference. But the way he serves it is Jordanian style. Okay. So it's a bunch of uh, diced chicken or beef on a tall skewer topped with a like onion and a tomato at the bottom. And it comes out standing up on your plate. It's gorgeous. And with the cutest little pita breads. You know what I'm saying? With the, with the, sh- uh, the shawarma, they're like the size of like... 
I don't even like. I, don't I think know we got to have a foodie foodie uh, uh, podcast. Podcast. <laughs> so we can talk <laughs> about a lot of things in Fresno. <laughs> There's but some sneaky good food here. Before we leave uh, Kebab City, uh, and you're gonna delete it or whatnot, but no, I'm not deleting you this. Know, this you is know, gold I'm, mine. I'm all about Colorado Grill for the burgers. However, <laughs> however. If you get the Kefta burger at Kebab City, which is half lamb, half beef, oh yeah, yeah, it's 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 hard. So, man, I, let me shut this off because it's gonna be annoying. So, um, yeah, and their their shawarma is dope. Their their uh, fatair, which would be the lahmacun or the or the the cheese one or the zatar. The, the thyme. zatar one is my. Yeah, it's really great. I used to have zatar for lunch every day because it only cost uh, the bread. It was called Zatar Pizza, and it was only ten cents. So that would be my, wow. my lunch every. Where was day this in Armenia? Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, it's, maybe, it's maybe, my favorite now. Maybe you guys can help me with this. The thing that keeps me coming back to Ark is, I don't know what it is, but it's like a garlic paste. Yeah, and I literally lick it out of Have the little containers it? that they give to me. I Kibble can't. City? It's oh yeah, yeah. Hey, but but nobody can touch my garlic sauce, man. I'm Your garlic is yeah, the best. I'm gonna make it. And I'm gonna bring it to you. Oh yeah. So are you, are you, we're, we're talking about the same thing. That kind of white pasty. Yeah, yeah for sure. They, they, they're gonna hate to, me. They're to, gonna hate me. But next time they don't give it unless you request it. Ask them for the for the cucumber yogurt instead of the garlic sauce. It's garlic. It's shallots, cucumber, and then fresh made yogurt. It's same sauce. Oh, it's off the chains. You know what we should do? We should get your garlic sauce and. Uh, and then take it to Colorado Grill and try it on a cheeseburger. <laughs> oh, I've done that. I've done that. Matter of fact, there used to be a spot here yeah. called a, a Chicago Connection. It was the first Chicago-style pizza house in Fresno. Um, and it was awesome. I'm sorry? I didn't know we had We one got yet. a couple of them right now. Chicago Pizza. Yeah, Chicago there's Pizza. One. But No, no, there's there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? But, but used to, the first one was called Chicago Connection, and, and they were from Southside Chicago. And uh, what was good about it, it was Chicago Pizza, but it was different because they would mix sweet potatoes into the dough so it was even different so he loved my restaurant i loved his restaurant so i would make um shawarma and bring garlic sauce and he would make a pizza with it we'd have lunch together that's dope yeah, it was really good yeah man. that's dope i think so, you know i because i when i get obsessed with a sauce yeah. like i have to yeah, get a lot on. of it that's and so on. i i tried that at this other place uh called sakura chaya it's like a teppanyaki spot and so they have this spicy sauce and so I asked him, can I buy it by the court? And so they brought me this big styrofoam <laughs> container of the sauce and it lasted like a week. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, it's impressive, um, but you know, it's, I just wish I could have it in a jar, a big jar, you know, that I could come back to that garlic sauce. Then you got to continually support local businesses. So they have the funds and capital that they can invest in, in canning and jarring there. So with my restaurant, people always had asked and I, and I would sell it to them, but I just brought jars or cups um, from home and I would fill it for, and I'd have it there so I could fill it. But um, when people said, you know, you should jar, you should jar, I'd be like, it costs money. Mm-hmm. Are you going to support? And we don't, we don't um, put money into our small businesses the way that we Yep. Sure. So I think this is a start of a Kickstarter page <laughs> yeah, for ARC. It is. ARC, yeah, no, if no, you're no. listening. ARC, ARC Kebab City. Colorado Grill. Colorado Grill. Yeah. You can't name one without the other three because that's like my... <laughs> the top what four. What is a four? It's not a trifecta. It's a what? Quadfecta. I don't yeah. know what it is, Four-fecta. but that's what it is. Four-fecta. You want to get good at, And hopefully none of you are vegetarians because then we just ruined it for you. No. No. I mean, no, no, not, no. I mean, in this house, yes. In this room, no. Although at Colorado Grill, you can get a Beyond Meat burger. At Haveli, you can get great um, vegetarian Indian foods at Arc. 
Ark and Kebab City can compete for two of the best falafels I've ever had. Yeah, they so do you can have get really vegetarian. good falafel. Hummus, baba mm-hmm. ganoush, whatever you want, you get mm, down on it. Baba ganoush. Yeah, baba ganoush is underrated for people that don't eat that kind of food that often. You know, there's just it's just the world of hummus. But I, I honestly, if I have my choice, I'm going to order baba ganoush That's every right. time. Uh-huh. They just, uh, so, you know, yeah. when you go to oh, Ark yeah. and you get the kebab plate, you can get baba ganoush in place of hummus. You, you can know, get I've learned so many things thing. about yeah. how I'm ordering wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's going to, we're going to make a list for you after. Yeah, I need, I need help, help, I guess. So then speaking of Fresno's best food, you know, this podcast is called Fresno's Best. Did we tell you that? Yeah, Fresno. So, um we invited you because you know we're trying to get like people are doing amazing things in this city and um who are doing the best things in fresno so could you just like um give us a little glimpse of what you're involved in and what your grind is here in the 559 i'd much rather talk about food yeah i mean we can end there we can return to food i'm always ready to talk about food so my name is reza nikumanish i i serve as the executive director of the islamic cultural center of fresno that's in north fresno right down the street from arc yeah and, and right down the street from kebab city as well so and from colorado grill and all, all the other spots um <laughs> As long as I can remember myself being in Fresno, I've always tried to find ways of being active and and um, moving along lines that would commit myself to bring about greater social, environmental, racial, or economic justice for all those folks in our community. So um, while I serve as the executive director of the Islamic Center, which I, I love and I love the work that I get to do, I fill my buckets with a whole bunch of other organizations and other work so that way um, I'm able to do different aspects of work. So I've served, I serve as the chair of the clergy caucus in Fresno. I serve with faith in Fresno, faith in the Mm -hmm. Valley, which is the largest interfaith organization in California Mm -hmm. that operates on social justice and a racial justice platform. I serve with the the human rights coalition. Um, I've served with the interfaith Alliance or the interfaith scholar weekend. I have served on the, um, the homeless advocacy committee i've served um with uh, i don't know if i want to say but on different committees like the chief's advisory board or the mayor's faith-based council also to bring about awareness to our community Mm. um so i i try to find ways to fill all these different buckets that i have um and i don't think anybody can do that in just one slot Mm. So um, working with a lot of different organizations and finding ways to work in justice as a whole, whatever that looks like, but um, it can't all be done in the guise of one organization or one profession. And then you just give your life to things. So, um, you know, if you have to find uh, the reality or you come to the reality that um, if you believe in working to establish a more just society, you have you you have to kind of sacrifice and give your life to that movement. Hmm. Um, and then you find ways to partner with other organizations that you might not be involved in directly, but you find ways to uplift their work and, and tie in so that you can bring about uh, more change. Hmm. I know that was a long answer. Oh, no, it's no, good. It's I want I want to talk more about that. So like um, kind of talk about what, especially for listeners that are kind of in their own religious bubble, and really haven't done work in interfaith. What is what is that like, and how does it happen? Um, what are some of the challenges, and what are the benefits that you see of doing it? Um, so there's a lot of challenges with interfaith or multi-faith work. Um, 
the benefits are so much more grand and so much more beautiful. But the challenge is first. Um, first of all, I think all of us, um, we all have a faith journey, whatever that means, whether it leads you into a particular faith or out of a particular faith or through a spiritual dimension or a, or a philosophical or or even a worldly understanding of who you are. We all have some sort of kind of journey uh, that brings us to where we are. And a lot of us, not all of us, during that journey go through um, spaces and bubbles in our journey and our existence where we like to insulate ourselves, mm -hmm. that we become capsulated with, within the community that we find ourselves a part of. Um, so that happens for Muslims, for Christians, for Jews, for Buddhists, for atheists, where you get in your um, circle of friends, you all agree, you have a similar philosophy or worldview and you move forward in that space and, and you all, you almost always alienate everybody else because it becomes that we have an answer and hmm. either it's a shame other people don't have the answer or number two, Hey, let's go teach everybody else the answer we have because we're going to save our fellow human beings. And I think both of those are destructive approaches um, to really building relationships. So interfaith or multi-faith or interreligious or multi-religious um, work all has to come out of something. If it comes out of trying to promote who you are to other people, then it's not real. It's it's fake and and people will know it immediately and nothing is going to come of it. Mm -hmm. If it comes out of a, a of a uh, a shallow approach where we're going to sit a sit around and just talk about our faiths and hope that other people will understand us a little bit more. It's okay, yeah. but it's shallow and it, it'll go away as quickly as kumbaya. Kumbaya. It's a kumbaya moment and it's beautiful when it happens and then you move on yeah. and nothing real comes of it. However, I believe that we have to work to, um, to establish relationships deeply. I had this thing I was trying to throw up at people. I kept throwing it up at speeches. I was throwing it up at posts and it never caught on, but I'm, I'm going to make it catch on. It is simple. It's just connect, reflect, protect. And what it meant simple was that, and I believe that those three words can summarize why it's important to do interfaith work. Number one, you connect with people. You start to learn about them. Um, you start to understand who they are in reflecting. Um, you start to care about why they believe what they believe. So not just hearing why you believe what you believe, but why is that? What, what does that do? How does that change your life? How does it change your approach? How did it influence this interaction that we've been having? Like have deep reflections about who we are, but real interfaith, real multi-faith, multi-religious work comes in the third stage, which is protect. If you get to know about somebody else and who they are and why they are the way they are, it's only valuable if you're going to work to help uplift that other person or protect that other person when they're and harm and it comes through deep relationship building um you know i think that uh, we as human beings we're always in a reactive mode like we we rarely are ever proactive um so we can look at things you know unfortunately there was a, a shooting in new jersey yesterday right um and it could come out i think it is coming out but i think they're still gonna wait a little bit that um that one group of People, one person from one group, the Black Hebrew Israelites. You guys know this mm -hmm. this group um, uh, targeted um, Jewish folks at the kosher mart. Um, and I'm reminded of the attack on the Pittsburgh synagogue just about a little over a year, ago, a year ago, right? Yeah, yeah, just mm -hmm. over a year ago. And I, I saw throughout the country there were press conferences and there were meetings and there were people standing up with their Jewish quote unquote brothers and sisters as if they 
Uh, we're doing something great and loving each other. Um, and I think, and then they just went away and nothing came of it. <clears throat> so something bad happens. We all get together. Mm-hmm. We talk about it and then we go home. And nothing really matters after that. Whereas if we're proactive and we're building relationships and we're already learning to care about one another, when Pittsburgh happens, we're all going to be at TBI immediately, Mm. which we were in Fresno uh, just about 13 or 14 months ago because we already have deep relationships with the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. Rabbi Rick and Rabbi Laura, the the local rabbis, are my friends. Today Mm -hmm. I called Rabbi Rick. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's in Chicago. Um, at a conference, but either way, we were able to have a conversation and it Mm -hmm. wasn't, Hey, what can I do for you? It was like, Hey brother, what's going on? Is there something in the community? Does something need to be done? That that, a real conversation and it's not going to end there, you know? Yeah. I mean, we'll go out to lunch next week or yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the time. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think that if interfaith is built on that relationship, mm -hmm. then beautiful things come of it. And I think that's like, I think that what you mentioned is the beautiful aspect of it is it's not like, okay, an emergency happens and like, we're going to all be like together and like try to fix this one event in one day. It's this continued building up of like, you're hanging out, you're having lunch with different faith leaders and you know, like you guys are like actually doing life together. You care about each other. It reminds me of that phrase. um, You can't love someone unless you know them. Mm. That's good. Yeah. It is true. And didn't, I don't know, I don't remember which group it was, but, you know, Fresno recently had that a mass shooting where the, the Hmong community was um, affected. And I, I remember seeing on the news, like the interfaith community gathering for that too. No, um, I don't remember who it was. Yeah. So there was, uh, there was an interfaith program that was scheduled six months back. Mm. It was a Thanksgiving celebration, a Thanksgiving prayer that the Interfaith Alliance holds every year. Okay. Um, and then it just so happened that the shooting happened in Fresno. So, of course, um, in the celebration of each other, in the celebration of uh, multi-faith, multicultural um, space that we're in, it, they did mention what had happened, but it, it wasn't a, a reactive hmm. or even a coming together because of... The shooting, yeah. So, like this continued you know relationship building and like you guys care about each other um what would you what would you say to like what would be your piece of advice to people who uh want to interact with other faiths but don't know how or um how do how do they cross that bridge or build that bridge so that's a good question um but i think the answer is super simple and I know it, it sounds simple. Maybe it's a little bit difficult to do, but I think you just have to see in the other person, um, you, you have to see the, the, in the Judeo Christian concept, there's the idea in the Judeo Christian faith perspective, there's the concept of, um, created in the image of God in, in Islam. We don't have that concept, but we have a concept that says, uh, the Quran, our holy book says, and God bestowed dignity and honor upon all human beings. So we all have some kind of understanding that the other person is a co-equal in creation, that we were created equally, that we were created of the same substance. We were created by the same essence, God, Lord, however you want to call it. 
Um, we, we play out the way we play out. But I think if we were able to approach each other, understanding that more than understanding that I'm going to go teach this person about my faith. Mm-hmm. I think that's so I think the average person, the average faith leader, the average faithful person, the average person who has left faith for whatever the purpose is, uh, a lot of times their goal is to convince the other person about why they should be totally, this or do this totally. or believe this. And I think that's the most destructive. It's aggressive. Thing that you, it's it's um, it's de- dehumanizing. Yeah. Because hmm. how do you come to me telling me you have a better approach to truth and value than I have? Mm-hmm. You're going to destroy everything in my entire um, build up and my study and my understanding and my faith. We can have conversations about that when we love each other, mm-hmm. when we're friends, when we understand that it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. But until that time, you can't. You approach each other as another creation as another human being that's equal to you and you just have conversations and i think it's easy at that point so then a pastor and a rabbi and a mom and a buddhist minister and a monk and a they can all sit together in a space and all be equals Hmm. and all look at each other for the beauty that they are but if they're all coming together to teach the other person about either why they're wrong or or i'm right no good comes yeah and i feel like that is one of the biggest um that's one of the biggest turnoffs of religion for people sometimes, right? It's this approach that, hey, I don't I don't know you, but I love you. And because I love you, I want you to understand this knowledge that I have. You know, it's like this surface level, like we just got to hook them and then we're done with them. We don't so, need to build a relationship. So there's yeah. a, the, I, the, we all know the, the quote from Jesus that says, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, mm-hmm. right? At the same, or a little bit before the time of Jesus, there was a rabbi, and he said something a little different. It sounds the same, but it's not. He says, and I learned this from my buddy Rabbi Rick, He's, um, this rabbi said, um, do not do unto others as you would not have them do to you. And that's a little a precursor to Jesus' saying. Hmm. And I'm sorry, I like it a little bit better. And the reason is because... If I find something in my faith that I love, Hmm. I might love it so much that I'm going to give it to you, no matter how aggressive that comes out. Hmm. If I think I have found some truth or some path or some idea that's just so great, I'm going to want everybody around. However, if I don't want somebody else trying to force their way on me, then I shouldn't try to force my way on them. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different. It's similar. Hmm. A little bit different. Approach. No, it is different. It's, I was trying I like to track it. it when you said it. I was like, wait a second. Not, two I'm negatives. I was trying <laughs> to like, you know, it's like. Well, they're two negatives. So it's a positive. It's mathematical, right? brother. Uh, it's mathematical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm trying to keep up. Um, so let's talk about Fresno. Um, so. And all its glory. You know, I. I think it's. It's easy. It's easy to. Just look at the negatives. And I think there's a lot of positive that can be rumbling beneath the surface that people don't see. And so I'm curious through your eyes, like where where do you see those glimpses of light in a city that sometimes gets a bad rap uh, from outsiders? And where where are you seeing people and movements and things happening that... Uh, sh- should give people hope about the direction of Fresno. Where are you so seeing So first, that? can we? Can I ask? Do you think Fresno deserves the bad rap? 
You know, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, I, I don't think it does because, um, you know, I, I have a, I guess I have a humanistic way of looking at people in some ways that, um, and the role that environment plays and what happens, um, and you know, the role that our political institutions play. Um, and you know, I'm a, I'm a public school teacher. And so I look at all those, all those mixtures and, uh, I could never, you know, I could never say, you know, it's, this place is worse for this. Re- you know, I, I think it's, uh, I think there's so many different factors in play that to just give something a negative judgment in a tot in like a totalizing way. It's just not, so, it's just not so, the way to look at a city. Yeah. But I, but I disagree with you respectfully. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think that there are beautiful things that we do need to highlight and we need to uplift and we need to work to bring about more, but you're talking about a city who environmentally has the worst air in the country and some of the worst water in the country. I visited a high school in Orosi that in Orosi, they have water levels that according to the lawyer from Flint, Michigan had worse levels than Flint, Michigan. And these are, that's something that, that we can fix. It's not some distant problem that we don't understand why it is. That's environmentally, Uh, economically, look at the economic disparities. 47% of the children in Fresno are living under the poverty line. Um, if you count undocumented brothers and sisters, the true unemployment rate in Fresno is upwards of 30%. It's huge. If you want to talk about racial inequalities, mm. forget the North-South divide. You just look at the most common, uh, the most current reports that list Fresno as one of the five worst places for black people in America mm-hmm. to live. You can't, you can't look at that with rosy colored glasses. If you want to look at the North South divide, you want to look that we're one of the cities in America that have official redlining documents. I mean, redlining was everywhere, but we have official documents that have redlining on them. You're talking about a, a, a city that um, is torn politically, a city that that is destroyed politically. That that I don't know how it will ever be brought back. We have a we're we're talking about a city that um, one of our city council members um, became nationally famous not because of good work that he did, but because he said it's not it's not gun control. It's not the problem of gun control. It's the problem that you're aborting kids mm-hmm. and don't teach God in schools. Mm-hmm. That's the Fresno that that we're operating in. We're talking about mm-hmm. a Fresno that that um, on, on a dating website, forget anything on a dating website listed Fresno as one of the lowest places. I think the top three or four places in America to find an educated mate. We're talking about education levels that are really low mm-hmm. schools that are broken schools that don't have what we're talking about a Fresno that, that where, where my center is where I live actually, which is very close to the center. I'm very thankful. My son can go, 10 minutes in any direction and have a green place to play. But a Fresno that most of it doesn't have that. A Fresno that uh, brothers and sisters living in Southwest Fresno, if they want to dry clean a shirt, have to drive 10 miles. We're talking about a Fresno that has food deserts. We're talking about a Fresno that, that is destroyed from the within a Fresno that was built up on racism. You know, the first people other than indigenous people in Fresno that came here were actually Confederate defectors who came here and wanted the South to rise. And that never went away. I saw Fresno that I live in that my old next door neighbor had a Confederate flag hanging in his garage. That's the Fresno that I see. So, so, um, I don't think that the bad rap is 
ill-gotten. I think yeah. we deserve the bad rep. However, I agree with you. However, I, with I, all that, yeah, I think I think you're you're. Uh, my question was yeah, slightly yeah. geared differently, but sorry, but no, no, you don't have to apologize. But because, so what I would say is, I think you saying all that stuff was very important for people to hear, mm-hmm, but, and is. I and I think um, more what I was getting at was that um is people you know and that's 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 more what i was getting at yeah, yeah. And, and, and so i and didn't not, finish and, about the people so yeah, we have yeah. we have a we have a fresno there. we have a fresno that that just two years ago 57 percent of all fresnans surveyed said they agreed with donald trump and his policies against muslims that's the fresno i live in that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah um yeah. so is there beauty in Fresno? Absolutely. I've lived here 23 years. I have no, I have no plans of moving. Um, I believe that if something is wrong in your community, you don't run away from it. You fight it. You, mm-hmm. you, you destroy it and you, you rebuild something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, pe- there are great people in Fresno. There are great organizations in Fresno. There are great um, uh, places in Fresno that are doing amazing work. But... The reason that I know all of those places and the reason I know all of those people is because our enemy is clear. It's not like we're living in, say, Oakland, where they have ills. They have a lot of problems in Oakland. But generally, everybody in Oakland pretty much agrees that they have those problems. That's true. And it doesn't matter if you're white, black, brown, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Republican, Democrat. It don't matter. You all understand that. And you find ways to work. In Fresno, it's clear. Our enemies are clear. Our enemies are right in front of us, which what does that mean? It galvanizes us. It unites us. It pushes us forward. And it allows many people in Fresno to shine and to do great work. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the politics were different in Fresno. It would be the same because then we would be comfortable and we would stay at home. This is the, the, the situation that we're living in, the politics that we're living in, the problems that we're facing are forcing good people to stand up, move forward and shine in so many different ways. Yeah. And I, yeah, to, to close on that before I let Amy ask something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, I appreciate you saying that, you know, and I, I think it's something that needs to be said specifically, right? You know, when you say bad rap, you know, you just kind of write it off. But if you if you lay out specifically what's going on, I think that's th- something needs people need to have put in front of them are, are the details. Um, and so I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I mean, that's most honest. Like, I, f- I feel like in Fresno, there's a lot of no, not there. Yeah, there's a there's a ton of people who are isolated and it's communities that are isolated and it's like individuals too. And I feel like a lot of the good that's happening are people who are seeking solace and trying to survive here. Um, because it is very politically, um, like swayed a certain way. And it also is dominated by a particular religion in Fresno. Um, with politics, I feel like it's intertwined and I don't know if you, if you agree with this, but I feel like Fresno tries to, uh, maintain a, like a, a Christian, a Christian control on politics. You know, they, the mayors, the chiefs and, you know, people who have a lot of power. I, cause I, I know for me, I feel like I'll just speak for myself. I am not of a particular religion and I know sometimes I feel like half of a person living here because it's valued so heavily that being like Christian or of a certain way. And sometimes I don't feel like I'm seen as, um, whole because of that. 
And I don't know what your thoughts yeah, are on that. Yeah, you're talking to somebody who I have a deep faith that there is a God. Mm-hmm. That I focus all of my work around the fact that I'm trying to work to establish and fight for the justice that God wants me to work for. Mm-hmm. Who still showed up to city council to fight when they wanted to put in God we trust on, on, their, the, on the back of their dais. Which they did, right? They did, of, yeah, course. It passed, of course. It passed unanimously. And, and, um, but there were, I, would, I don't know the number, so I think we brought out something like 40 religious leaders to speak against that that day. Hmm. There was a lot of public comment. And I'm not attacking God when I say I don't want in God we trust. First of all, I think that if you're going to put in God we trust behind you and then you're going to commit those... <laughs> heinous crimes that you call policies upon our people yeah and you're going to do it in the name of god i think you're doing more destructive to religion than than anything but additionally i don't want somebody uh, i don't want a fresnan going to the city council over a business license issue or over a political issue or an education i don't want them going if they don't believe in god having to look up and say like you said, I'm not a whole person because I don't in God mm-hmm. we trust. And somehow that dehumanizes me. It brings me down. Because I, I told you before, the verse of the Quran, bani Adam. It doesn't say God bestowed uh, honor and dignity upon all those who believe in God or all those who accepted the idea. That it's on all humans. All humans are dignified. So... Mm-hmm. Um, but our politics are that way. We, we are very heavily tinged to the right, very mm-hmm. heavily to um, white evangelical Christianity. Yes. Um, and it's very clear in many spaces. It might not be openly touted or promoted, but you can feel it when you're in meetings. Mm, my gosh, so heavily. I mean, I, I, I was at, obviously I won't name names or, or the just space. Just name them, just name them. Just name them. <laughs> so it was, uh, no, I'm Who should kidding. we vote for? <laughs> yeah. And then... But I'm I'm sitting in this this meeting with you know high power people and they're talking about Christmas and I'm like you're so like you're so assuming that everyone here celebrates Christmas like the they did a go around question like um, you know what do you want for Christmas and I was like how there like, I know three people in this room who you don't celebrate said on Christmas on December seventh or yeah you said you're Armenian, yeah, right? yeah. No, January sixth oh, yeah that's what I meant <laughs> yeah yeah that's okay um, but it, it, there was that mention and it was also like you know there was a few amens and I'm just like how can these how can people assume that like we all you know think well they and, don't care about they, you. they don't the yeah it just it just boom it continues to blow my mind even though it's off. Well, you know they call they call uh centric specifically Bakersfield up to Fresno is called Calabama. Cal- oh, it's like not the, just, the Bible yeah, Belt. Like, yeah, it's the Bible Belt of California. Calabama. Calabama. Well, now, uh, Tommy, you guys did you guys have worked together in the past, right? For mm-hmm. for yeah. an interfaith. Can what what was that again? Or can you explain Yeah, sure. A bit? Yeah, so I work for an organization called Mennonite Central Committee. And for a while, we did a young adult uh, peace building program. And so in the summer, I would bring a group of young adults over to the Islamic Cultural Center to meet Reza, hear a little bit about Islam, and also try to practice a little bit of peacemaking, peace building, and relationship building across faith. So. That's it cool. was great work. He's, he's talking very humbly. but Yeah, I want to hear I more. Mean, it, was, it was deep, um, just basic relationship building mm. and getting people to get outside of their comfort zones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tell more, honestly, man. It was it was a great. No, yeah, I loved it, and honestly, the participants loved it too. I think most of the participants I would bring had never 
been to a mosque or Islamic cultural center, maybe not even talked with a Muslim before. And so they always came away like just so shocked or surprised by like how welcoming they felt with mm-hmm. Reza and how comfortable they were there and just how open he was talking about everything. And just, I think, I mean, just, just to be honest, like how much of an actual human being he is, you know, like when mm-hmm. you, everyone comes with their own ideas and preconceptions of what other people are. Yeah. Um, and so, That's yeah, true. it was one of the highlights for me too. Be honest, Reza. Mennonites are your favorite Christian denomination, aren't they? You can be honest. I, I know I don't have favorites. Yeah. I don't have favorites. Are you sure? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I don't have favorites because I got great UCC people. Oh, UMCC that's true. Got, sure you got some I great got Episcopalians great, too. Great Episcopalians, American Baptists. I, I've got across the board great people. Um, the Mennonite community in Fresno particularly has been um, quite receptive to wanting to break down stereotypes. I don't know if that started because of FPU or, or the central committee or what it, what it was, but all over the place. So, I mean, I'm at Fresno Pacific a few times per semester, yeah. um, oh, every awesome. semester. Um, and we got them coming into our classrooms. I mean, into our Islamic center all the time. Um, I've spoke at Mennonite churches, mm-hmm. a, a couple of them. Uh, what was the summer camp called that we worked with? Oh, Building Leaders for Peace. Building Leaders for Peace um, was very powerful. Uh, so there's been great relationships, but they're not the only ones. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, I, I do. I do. When I say interfaith, I mean more than one particular. Yeah. Right, right, right. And I, I'm not speaking. This is not self-interest. I'm very much an Episcopalian. So this is not self-interest. But just Mennonites, whether it's the bread, whether it's the you know the donuts, whether it's the quilts, whether it's the piece. I mean, you just can't go wrong with. You know, it, I got Mennonite. to meet and uh, speak before uh, Michael Curry. Oh, that's yeah, cool. so that was really cool. But the cool thing is, too, when you say interfaith, you mean like people who aren't religious, too. Absolutely. It's just like it's their faith could just be that they believe in humans or whatever it is they live by. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, um, if if a particular group doesn't work for someone, if the Interfaith Scholar Weekend is not a great group or the Interfaith Alliance is not a great group or Faith in the Valley is not. By the way, they're all great groups. What yeah. I meant to say is that if that group is particularly too religious for somebody, hmm. there are organizations like the Human Rights Coalition, which brings together faith leaders and secular mm-hmm. leaders and activists to do amazing work. So still allowing a space for interfaith um, work and building to be done. There's so many different um, groups that are doing great work that everybody, if they un- if they have a basic belief that in you I see myself, there's a lot of groups doing great work. And whatever religion or lack thereof they um, attest to, then they can find a group to do good work with. So what are what are some of the goals? of the center like what what do you hope to accomplish in the next couple of years and uh, like kind of your agenda and things that we should agenda yeah, <laughs> that, that makes it sound like yeah, it sounds, nefarious it sounds a little bit a, like, a, like you're twisting your mustache word. my yeah. agenda yeah well see uh, <laughs> let me th- so first of all I, w- I would say that um it's not about short-term goals. It's about just a, a, a... So the Islamic Cultural Center of Fresno was opened around 18 years ago. And it opened because there was a... There were already Islamic centers and mosques in Fresno. But there was a there was not an Islamic center or a mosque that was working to build bridges or create relationships with people outside. It, it was basically a place to pray. 
It was very insular. A mosque was a place that you can go and pray. You could learn about your faith, go to Sunday school, and go home. The Islamic Center was opened with an idea that um, that we, as the Muslim community, need to work to bring about a, when we say, a true, undistorted, peaceful image of Islam to the community to show them what the religion actually is and how it's made up um, in a way that that is understandable to people around them. That's number one. Number two is to work very hard to do intra and interfaith um, relationship building. So working between Shia, Sunni, Sufi, the different uh, versions of Islam that exist, as well as with different faiths to bring them together uh, to build. And then finally um, to operate in such a way to either partner with or host programming and educational series that would um, highlight good work that's being done and how people could get involved. That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it, so just come. It's, be, it's, that's it's awesome. It's open anytime you want to come. And um, and finally, we just have a vision that that this is our city too. Hmm. You know that, that that the history of Islam in America. If you ever want to have another long podcast, because it's a long uh, <laughs> conversation, people think that that you know how how there's a terrible thing that has happened in the education system where the history of black people in America is pre and post slavery, yep. pre and post emancipation, yep. pre and post civil war, like terrible demarcations yes. that just shouldn't be there. Yeah. And it's not uh, in, a, in, in mm-hmm. for Muslims. It's almost like pre and post nine 11. Yeah. It's like, so but that's true. a ridiculous assumption that mm. Muslims didn't exist. So first of all, mm. um, you're not going to like uh, my, you're going to think it's conspirational, but you can look it up. In the year 975, a Chinese Muslim traveled to these Americas um, and writes about it. In the 1300s, for the entire de- um, century, um, Moors were coming here to trade with indigenous peoples in the Americas. So Muslims were coming here for a long time. Then, unfortunately, um, so we don't believe for a second that Columbus was trying to find India and got, you know, the garbage mm-hmm. that they taught us in kindergarten. We actually believe <laughs> that he was trying to find the trade route that the Moors were using and such. Mm. And I'm not proud of this one. The Pinta and Maria were both navigated by Moorish Muslims. Um, they came here, I believe, very purposefully. Um, so Muslims were coming then. With the, um, with the African slave trade, upwards of 30% of all those enslaved Africans were Muslims. So they were coming um, as enslaved peoples. And then throughout the centuries, Muslims were coming just as often as anybody else was through the late 1800s into the early 1900s. Um, In the 1920s or 1930s, I guess, there was some moratorium on Muslims coming. You guys know what what happened around that time for American immigration? What what year was this? Uh, It was Chinese exclusion. So they were trying to stop Chinese people and basically anybody who was not white from migrating to the United States. Mm. So there was a little break, but then through the 60s, 70s, and then in the 90s and the early thousands, Muslims were coming to these um, United States and they've been here. So, I mean, if you look at a lot of the early history of the United States, Muslims were always around, were always involved, Mm. but they were always um, written out of major roles. Um, and their stories weren't told, or if they were, they were just told as, you know, American stories. Like mm. you know, um, so Muslims have always been here, have always been um, engaged in community, have always found a way to be part of community. But somehow, people 
demarcate Islam in America pre and post 9-11. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, one of our major focuses and visions is that um, we can build a space that people can learn about our community in a way that it's part of the broader community that has been here, that has been involved, that has built infrastructure in this society. We're not new. We're here. Home is this. Home yeah. is not somewhere else. And, um, and uh, you know, those people who are running for office or trying to make policy that is destructive community is going to have to deal with our community as well. Yeah. yeah as, and I, as a history teacher, I completely agree with you. Basically, Islam is mentioned twice. Malcolm X and 9-11. Yeah. And that's really it. It's just, it is like a giant... Uh, well, one's, one's, yeah. a, one's an amazing mention and one's yeah. destructive. Right, right. but yeah. you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's... Thomas has been in my office. It's full of who? Malcolm, 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 Malcolm X. Malcolm. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's Haj Malik al Shabazz is my favorite modern figure in history. I mean, I obviously I believe mm-hmm. the prophets are are prophets, but then Malcolm is. I don't even call him Malcolm. I call him Al Haj Malik, but but we use Malcolm. And and you know, I it's it's uh, other than religious books, the autobiography of Malcolm X is the greatest book that I've ever read, and I've read it. Dozens and dozens of times. I wouldn't go this far, but you guys all know what happened in Georgia just about last week. You guys know what happened in the state uh, in Georgia, the state, the U.S. state. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Uh, 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 A sister named Mariah. Oh my God, I forgot her last name. She she um, she became a politician in in a county there and she decided or she didn't decide she told him I'm not going to swear on the Bible bring me the autobiography of oh Malcolm and she swore she swore oath on the autobiography of Malcolm however awesome. I, 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 would, I would say that obviously I believe that the Bible um, has um, revelations in it so I wouldn't take it to that level but um, I think that the autobiography of Malcolm X has changed more people than any other single book that's ever been written. Mm. And it's amazing that prisons have worked so hard to ban it from their well, libraries. Yeah, if, if, I uh, mean, it's, it's, if it's going to clean people up. Yeah, if it's going to enlighten them and guide them to a path towards self-edification. Like, yeah. Well, know, they want you sad. to it's read a book. sad than yeah, yeah, but they want you to read a book that uh, they will give you the Bible all day long. Why? Because... It, it may teach you to accept Your the pains and the struggles yeah. and the circumstances yeah. Yeah. Where, totally. the, where the autobiography of Al-Hajj says, no, yeah, I'm not going to. Don't accept this, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, maybe we're getting off subject, but... No, we're not. As a white <laughs> it's wherever it goes, Tom. A white American male, you know, brought up in public school, I think after reading Malcolm X's autobiography... I like finally, I, I can't like truly grasp it, but like, could, like, I don't know. I really felt the pain of the African-American community. And I, after reading that book, I was like, I kind of agreed with Malcolm X. And I was like, I, I don't see how a black person could be a Christian um, after the whole experience of slavery. In the US. I've had that conversation so many times with pastors. Hmm. Um, but of course, everybody has a different approach you know but that's that's a you know and and the legacy of malcolm didn't stop with what's written in the book or or unfortunately when he was assassinated but we can look at 
we can look at so, so for every whoever is here i don't know if you guys hear but but this is the fresno baby cries and dog barks, and dog barks <laughs> that's, that's what it is but that's what we're you want to simulate the, right. that's you know, the church experience that's what it is but people forget that that betty shabazz dr betty shabazz malcolm's wife was a powerful leader herself and continued on the legacy of Malcolm for so long. Mm. She she became a professor. She had a radio show. Unfortunately, she died in a in a in a fire that was set by her grandson, who was a very troubled youth, who then turned out to be an amazing social activist when he got older. And then he was again murdered. Um, and he was the only male namesake of Malcolm's uh, or only male heir of Malcolm. So, uh, but we can see also Malcolm's daughters, Kubila and Ilyasa, and th- they're still carrying on. They're still writing books. They're still trying to own the narrative of Al-Hajj Malik al-Shabazz so that somebody else can't take it and own it. Mm. You know, um, too many brothers and sisters, their narratives are owned. We look at Martin Luther King and his narrative is owned. Martin does not own nor does what he left this world with own his narrative because he's i have a dream i have a dream i have a dream well who who was martin in the last days of his life you know he was an anti-war activist he was calling out capitalism and he was calling out the 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 military industrial complex hard you know, so he had left the I have a dream, but all we know is I have a dream. It's, so Malcolm's family, whoever's left, is trying to own that narrative mm. um, so that it doesn't get owned. And it's owned either way. It's either owned where we're going to we're going to just quiet this down. You know, Martin will do. We don't need a Malcolm. Just talk about Martin or number two. Um, you know, we have to understand that Al-Hajj Malik Shabazz was a very complex individual who who changed a lot in his life. And he developed and he th- he he formed um the basis of his life around the way that he learned and um the by any means necessary malcolm that so many people cling to today for the wrong reasons was not the hajj malik that left this world either you know he still believed in by any means necessary but not what some people will use it just to basically do whatever they want because they say well, it was by any, no by any means necessary is a is a distinct political commentary about a a, a mode to achieve a liberation of a people. Mm. Not just to do whatever we want and live however we want. I think people, not just Martin or Malcolm or or Jesus or Prophet Muhammad, I I think they don't, I think a lot of times um, we don't see them for who they were and we claim to love them, but our love is extremely shallow because we want a meme. We want them to be a meme where they said a cool quote, yeah. but we don't really have to instill any of that in our own character or life. And I think that that's not doing a service to any of them. Mm-hmm. So kind of on the Malcolm subject, before we started this podcast, we were talking a little bit about uh, the bail system um, and you know, criminal justice um, is, you know, and, and thinking about ways to, ameliorate anything um, involved and make it so people don't get trapped in the system. Amy works um, and has worked um, in mediation uh, for a long time. And my wife, my wife works in 
in the prison system. And I think we all really care about that. And I just wanted you to share about um, some of the work you're doing uh, around bail and some of the problems with it that keep people trapped in the system. Yeah. So um, one of the organizations that I've, I've, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that I've been really honored to be able to work with is Faith in the Valley. And um, one of the big things that we were trying to uplift and bring forward and, and, and talk about earlier um, was um, reforming cash bail. I mean, the idea that how much money you have and not what you did determines whether or not you're out working or with your family until your trial is a terrible um, injustice in a, in, a, in of itself. If you've committed a crime that's so heinous and is so much a danger to the public, it doesn't matter if you have $20 million. You should not be allowed to get out. However, if what you've committed is not going to harm somebody else, your lack of having funds should not keep you from being able to keep your job, being able to keep your wife or husband or children out of harm's way. Um, so the, 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 the idea that people have to, um, or have the ability to buy their waves ways out of jail, um, is first of all, it's an example of the economic injustice that exists in our community. Second of all, um, it's telling of how we see the crime, which means, I mean, for example, whatever the crime may be, X, Y, Z, I don't, I don't want to talk about the crime. What's important to us is if you have the money to buy your way out, if you have the money to pay the fine, it's not really important what you did. If it is, we'll figure that out in court one day, but, but for right now, it's not important. What we did is we, we figured out what we thought about what we can do. We have, we have these cycles where we, we try to, um, approach and 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 have a have a uh, a meeting or a confrontation about some sort of issue then we have a way where we um we develop what we're going to do to break down that issue or find a way to get involved and we have want to have a long-term plan along the way um when we were doing that work we decided that we would meet with um with our da here in fresno who is an elected official everybody who's listening um and um she was not just unaware, but she did not believe that there was injustice or that there was a racial disparity between the way people are locked up or their ability to access bail. Um, and because there were no official statistics, there were some academic um, approaches to under, uh, to marking these numbers, but there wasn't like a government statistic that this many black or brown bodies are locked up compared to this many white bodies according to each crime. She wasn't willing to accept the fact that it was a reality when, when we all know it's a reality. Um, and it became a very difficult conversation. Um, California did pass uh, a measure that w that would end the cash bailout as it is as it was, but it doesn't totally eliminate it. It also st um, people can still stack bail, which means that if you're arrested and you have four different, um, uh, not infraction charges, yeah, charges that you have to pay you out. You, they stack the money, so ten thousand for this, five thousand for this, twenty thousand for this. Um, which becomes really aggressive and, and somebody who already doesn't have the money to pay bail means they're, they're working a regular job, sometimes a menial job. Um, they're struggling to live anyway. Um, and now this can destroy a life. And even if they're innocent and they win a court case, um, 
it's very difficult to come back from now losing your job because you sat three or four days or five days or two weeks in jail waiting for to see a judge and, and what, what job is going to keep you around. Um, and, you know, people, you know, families get destroyed, you know, kids fall behind in school. So we were just trying to find a way to convince our DA who has all the power in the world to make those determinations um, to not make those determinations. She said it was up to the judge. We said, no, it's not because whatever you recommend to the judge is what the judge is going to do. But she didn't agree with us. Okay. And I feel like that's a lot of problems too. Like when it comes to public defenders and how many cases they juggle and if you can hire an attorney instead, yeah. like it's yeah. all these problems really go back yeah. to my brother's a capital. public defender. Well, what's his what's his caseload look like? I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it's intense. <laughs> he works at Colorado Girl. And other other brother. No, I'm just kidding. One of my brothers has restaurants, so the other one's a lawyer. That's awesome. Very different. And then yeah. I do what I do, so we're... Man, I love nothing, it. Yeah. That's a good that's a good balance in your family right there. So. Yeah, someone to get your back and then someone to make a really good burger. That's right. Like, that's, right. that's all you need in life, uh-huh. really. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we really appreciate you coming on to this Thanks and for allowing me. us to just chat. And, you know, I think, um, you know, like you said, it is really hard to see Fresno um, knowing all the we can't ignore the issues that are that are present in all of our communities. Um, so that's why we want to bring on, you know, people who are really involved in this community and like how give us ways to like um, make fresno better with small steps big steps um we just want to you know bring bring people on who can teach us how to do that so you're living it and i wish you guys all the best of luck with the podcast (laughs) power to you yeah do you Um, you have any recommendations for us or people that you see doing great things in fresno that you would you would call fresno yeah i have i have a list of them yeah i have a list of them i'm gonna send you the list we'll take it yeah we got we got faith leaders social activists educators people that you know as you said are i mean people that need to be highlighted yeah, give us that list, and we'll probably we need that list and the food list. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. food list. I mean, the, the people list is whatever. The food list that's critical. Man, I already Mission gave critical. you some gems. Yeah, you no, just, I know. He gave you the four. That's, yeah. that's true. Yeah, now, I have my recommendation. And I just want to shout this place out because it's in the same parking lot as Ark. Do you what know what I'm about to say? IKP. Yes, oh. Indian Kebab Palace. My no. It is my favorite Indian food spot in town. Nice, nice. I think you just need to order the right nice. things. You just got to go in there strategically. Man, my wife is from Pakistan, bro. I know how to order. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> order yeah, no, fair food. enough, fair enough. Hey, no, yeah. I, you know, there's some things there that have, have, have changed my mind. Yeah. What, What's your favorite item there? Okay. Uh, Malai kofta, hands down. Okay. okay. I just like that okay. nutty flavor. It? Okay. It's it's a it's a right. kind of you know uh, with the with the kefir. Uh, uh, what are they called? Those little balls. Uh, the little. The sweet. Like the dumplings. Yeah. Dumplings. Yeah. It's it's no uh, no. It's like a floating dumpling in the in the sauce. Mm. What well, okay? What what is your favorite uh, Indian food spot? I, did you Haveli. Haveli. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Everybody does something good. You know what I mean? Right. Um, if you go into Haveli. I say go for the buffet at lunch. Uh, I, 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 the dinner obviously is great because, you know, when you order like chicken tandoori, mm-hmm. it comes out on the plate. Psh, 
fresh like fajitas. It's all smoky. <laughs> it's awesome. great. And the buffet though, you get to try everything. Go I have some there was goat, lamb, beef, go chicken, whatever you want, and just get down on it. I'm gonna That's, go tomorrow. Yeah, a buffet. You can't go wrong with a buffet. Heck no. You could. No, you no. could. I've been I to mean, some bad buffets. So I mean, hometown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we used to go there so much. Yeah. I don't know why. Man, I so I haven't I haven't been to the Islamic Center in Fresno. So I will You've never come. Been? I've never been. Oh. I will come now. Well, but one other event. I don't know if you already mentioned it before when I was out, but they do this night of spirituality. And they they give out the Spirit of Abraham Award. It's actually it's really cool. When's that? Um, it's usually it's the in first May? Friday. No, 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 no. It's the first Friday in Ramadan. Ramadan, that's right. So um, we follow a lunar calendar. Oh, so, cool. Okay. Um, so it's about eleven-ish days shorter per year. Okay. So um, it tracks backwards. So yes, it's been in May, and yes, it's been in December. So Ramadan, the name of a month, um, uh, it's our holiest month. So the first Friday in Ramadan, um, whatever that turns out every year, and it's about eleven days back every year. Um, so we offer and we offer two awards, one to an organization and one to a person that are doing the work that we're talking about, that mm. are, are, are connecting people, making a safe space or highlighting the work uh, of different folks. So that has gone to politicians in the past. It's gone to schools in the past. It's gone to particular educators or religious leaders. It's gone to different news stations that have done good work. Cool. It's gone to awesome. a funeral chapel. I mean, so it, it goes to somebody, I think two I people. S- that was on the news. It's on the news every year. Is it? Yes, I saw yeah. the Is funeral it chapel one. specifically the non-Muslim? Yes, they're all non-Muslim. They're all, okay, the funeral, really I remember unique. it was like, um, it, they were being honored for how like respectful they are yeah. to everybody that comes it's, to their doors. So that funeral chapel. So if you ask me what the best funeral chapel is, exactly. that, that was the next question. If none of this work ends up doing well and we all have to go to funeral chapels, <laughs> the one, this is what yeah, you should be. Right, yeah, I'll so. put on my will, man. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's a great event and they also give you free food. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that was so. That was, I haven't been to the one in Fresno, but I I just went to an Islamic center in Qatar, and they gave me the best cardamom coffee. I had never cardamom coffee yeah. or tea. Uh, coffee, or it might have been tea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had never. That's what I was drinking. Oh, really? <laughs> oh my! It blew my mind. I mean, one, they're like welcome. They were very welcoming and like were so willing to answer questions and stuff. Um, and then the cardamom. Oh, it's amazing. I've it never had it. It, it rocked my, my world. No, yes. you might have had it. Have you um, at a, at IKP, have you ordered the chai? Yes. Okay, so it's the it's the tea with cardamom, and then they add milk in the there. Nice. But they wouldn't there. But milk, too? Oh. oh. If I'm just, You've had I, it at the center. I know. Yeah. I I like tea. <laughs> Come on. I knew you liked tea. I, I had like some <laughs> crappy tea here. I should have. No, there's, 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 one, there's a good one. There's that, what is it? The uh, spiced apple. It's bomb. I don't know if it's up to his <laughs> it's not. It's not cardamom, <laughs> but it's uh, it's good for the taste buds. <laughs> hey, you know what? They're, they're all good. There was a there was a great Jet Li movie about nice tea. There's a there's a scene about tea. Have you seen it? It teaches you about human beings as well. No. Um, it's the it's the story of a Shaolin fighter. It's a true story who ends up traveling the world to fight. Do you guys know this story? So and it and um, so he was actually he, so he's Chinese and 
He's he goes through this rough patch in his life. He he commits some terrible acts. He gets banished. He goes and he learns about life. And then he comes back and he wants to teach people. But then what they end up doing is sending him on a tour around Europe and other places to fight their champions, whether it's a boxer or a wrestler. Mm -hmm. And then um, it was at a time where China and Japan had terrible relations so they were going to bring him the master of the shaolin master against a japanese fighter and um they sit down to have tea like maybe a few days before the fight and the japanese master asks him what kind of tea do you want and he says they're all the same and he Mm -hmm. says you call you think they're all the same but when they're hanging up on the tree as a leaf they each think that they're by itself beautiful and individual Mm -hmm. with loves and what and we um, as outsiders look at them and don't understand their differences or their beauties. Dang. It, it, I don't know why I brought that up, That's but it's a great movie. Is that leading to you to say that Spiced Apple is also pretty good? <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's, it's not part of a tea with the milk. Let's get down. But it thinks yeah. it's special. And by the way, you got to watch the movie. Spoiler alert, they end up assassinating him because it, it becomes a political thing. But. Oh, dang. Okay. <laughs> well, the tea fighter movie. Yeah, tea it's, fighters. It's, it's called Jet Li drinks a cup of tea and yeah. <laughs> travels we'll, the world. We'll that later. I'll look it up a little bit later. Yeah. Well, thanks. thanks well, thanks million. again, Reza, and this it's great hanging great. out. Yeah. Um, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's right, nice everybody. to connect with all of you guys. Yeah. Now it's, we just gotta reflect. We did it. Now we do what? I was gonna say protect. protect. Exactly. <laughs> right. Throw it out. Yeah. I like that. Awesome. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope to drop one of these once a month, so stay tuned in the next couple weeks for our next episode. We hope that guests like Reza inspire you and give you the courage to think creatively about how you can bring about change in your community. Until next time, see you soon, Fresno.